21-yard touchdown, running into first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? It is the breakdown. Hi, everybody. Welcome to week three in the Canadian Football League. Marshall Ferguson at TSN underscore Marsh. On the other side of the Zoom, that is Derek Taylor at DT on OB is where you can find him on social media. We are the breakdown here on Canadian Football Perspective, and we are supported by our good friends over at Fox 40. Visit fox40shop.com. Use the promo code CFP15 at checkout and get 15% off your entire order. Of course, you can get custom logoed coaching staff boards, whistles, gear, anything that you need. Again, fox40shop.com. Use that code CFP15 at checkout. I'm just looking down right now, DT, at uh, the CFL.ca writer's predictions, which mercifully I no longer have to do because <laughs> So I actually I would be interested and in, I didn't think we were going to start here, but I'd be interested in uh, peeling back the layers of stuff that happens behind the scenes that fans don't know about. Yeah, those those predictions that are made by Jamie Nye, Pat Steinberg, Matt Cos, Christina Cospell. Uh, Chris O'Leary and Jim Morris. I used to do those and cannot express how much I hated them. And the reason for that, and the, yeah. the reason for that is because I don't mind picking games. That's fine. But the reason for it was every time that we as a group would be playing the odds, if you want, if you like fantasy or gambling or any of that stuff, we'd be like, look, Winnipeg against, this is a good example this week, Winnipeg against Hamilton. Winnipeg's 2-0. Winnipeg's the two-time defending chance. Winnipeg is finding a way. Winnipeg looks like a team that's going to figure it out no matter what the challenges they have in front of them. They look like a slightly different team than we've seen. But man, Hamilton coming off a crushing loss when they collapsed in the, at a home game in their home opener, the Hall of Fame game, your coach going in and you can't find a way. That's got to be emotionally draining. If I'm picking that game, I'm going, man, Winnipeg, Winnipeg. Winnipeg at yeah. home, like with Zach healthy. Yeah, I'm going Winnipeg. Everybody, except for, I believe, Jim Morris. Yeah, Jim Morris is the only one that picked Hamilton. Everybody, for the most part, has picked Winnipeg in this. If Hamilton wins, my bone to pick with these picks was that it was always the team accounts or even the CFL social account itself that would be like, wow, look, a bunch of idiots picking games. It was like, we are not <laughs> we are not raising the level of coverage and respect for the analysis that we are giving on our platforms. If we have team accounts going, hey, look, bunch of idiots and then people on social media commenting and saying wow the people that cover this league don't know shit so i i told them yeah so many times i'm like i'm out i'm not i'm not picking these games anymore if we're gonna actively just try and attack the people that are trying to give analysis i was like i don't want to do this anymore and it was constantly this back and forth of like we'll talk to the teams and the social media people and stuff and it wasn't that i was a sore loser it was like we're doing the best we can okay and it just so happens that we get some stuff wrong and it got to the point where I said, I'm just not picking games anymore. And then eventually I got the television play-by-play job. And I said, well, now I can't. Now I can't do Perfect. it. Because I, I was like, I don't want to pick games that I'm calling. Because that's what Kirk Herbstreet always does when he's sitting there on college game days. I'll, I'll pick this, 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 and this. Uh, sorry, guys. I'm calling this one. I can't make a prediction on it. So I was allowed to get out of it finally. Yeah. 
the the downside for it, the thing you have to really, if you're in our position, the thing you have to work through is you can't win, right? If uh, like if if I'm talking to someone from the Ottawa Red Blacks, I, I there's no point where I get to go. Remember how you guys uh, gave me a lot of guff for saying you're going to be terrible for two straight seasons? That that conversation can never happen, right? I can say it on here because I said Ottawa would be the worst team in the league in 19 and the worst team in the league in 21, and and, and it worked out. Um, there's no win, right? They'll rub it in your face, but there's no way you can rub it in your face and go, oh, yeah, by the way, you guys did stink. You guys were terrible. You yeah. did lose to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on the night of the whiteout, you know, on week number three after you were 0-2. There's no there's no win for the folks to pick Winnipeg in that game, the 5-6. of six. So it's you just have to you just have to roll with it. Like, yeah. it's just uh, ideally it's all in good fun for everybody. We don't think you're bad people. We just think that in this contest, on this day, at this place, your team is a six-point underdog and is going to lose. That's it's not. We're not calling you bad, and we're not. We're not saying that you kick puppies and stuff. Come on, come on. <laughs> I just wish that once somebody in the comment section would say, "I don't think you're an idiot. I just think you're displaying the behavior of an idiot." You know, if they could just frame it differently and, and be a little gentler with it. Or I disagree because I had that I had that yeah. uh, kind of earlier today, and it's it's how Twitter is bad. I I just I dug up a stat last night, and we'll eventually talk about the Bombers yep. about how many carries they had for a loss this season versus last season. And someone and someone responded, "Well, you should know that's on the offensive line, not the running back." I'm like, I just put out the number. I just put out running back carries for a loss. Like it's the running back who ran the ball, as opposed to a quarterback or a quarterback sneak or a scramble by a quarterback or a a slot back end around. I'm just saying it's running backs. I didn't tell you why I think it is. We can get into that, but this is just the thing. Well, you should know. Oh, I I do, but this is just the number and y'all can do whatever you want with that number because everybody will put their own take on it based on what they've seen. It's just Twitter's a bad place sometimes. Well, much much of the time. It's great for disseminating information to people who want it. I think we just have to receive it properly and go, Oh, that's interesting, but it doesn't work with for me because boop, 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 Okay, cool. Now we're having a conversation as opposed to, Marshall, you're a moron. You should never pick football games. <laughs> uh, yeah. Here, here I, I strongly believe that social media is just the worst of us at all times. Uh, and I agree with you. It has some upsides, but man, they get outweighed. And a great example was Father's Day. Because this past Father's Day, I decided to search the word Father's Day and just see what would okay. come up. I'll see what would come up on Twitter. The first result was somebody saying Father's Day should really be Mother's Day because 90% of fathers don't do anything to raise the child. And the second tweet that was the, these are the two most popular tweets on all of Twitter.com that came up around Father's Day. That was the first one. And the second one was uh, shout out to all the dads that have to deal with exes or partners that try to rip the children away from them because the moms don't want anything to do with them. I was like, what are we doing? I'm like, the two most popular tweets can't just be us being like, hey, Everybody should love their dads, regardless of whether or not they are here with you. If you're separated, if you're, they care about you and you should always know that. And it was like, nope, Twitter was the very worst of us on Father's Day. I immediately closed the laptop and I was like, this is a terribly negative place. And I yeah. was just done with it for well, that day. That's, that's been the story of, of local news and national news forever is what's the worst thing and how are we all going to die or be broken by gas prices just dominates. And that's, yeah, I so. Agree. 
Not a particular surprise. How are we going to be dominating my quarterback conversations this week, Marshall? <laughs> well, just before we move forward to that, I do want to mention that the only person that has picked the Alouettes uh, de Montréal is uh, Jamie Nye, which gives me an excuse to say congratulations to Bill Nye the Science Guy on getting married this week. Yeah, congrats, Bill. I just saw that People Magazine put up a thing. Uh, Bill Nye got married. Uh, the quote that people put up was, Bill Nye has found the woman that he'll have chemistry with for the rest of his life. <laughs> Uh, which oh, I, that's good. Which that's I very good. quickly went to Bill Nye's Wikipedia page because I thought there ain't no way this mother effer has only been married once. Like that dude has been rolling in and <laughs> money and traveling the world and been a hero to a generation for a long time. Uh, sure yeah. enough, in 2006 he was married and then annulled the marriage within six months. <laughs> so, uh, and that was the only other time listed on his Wikipedia that he is attempted to get married. But anyways, way to go, Bill! You finally did it. You took the leap. Congratulations. Something for the nerds. Love it. Love it. <laughs> uh, all right, I wanted to uh, kick things off here just before we get into. Uh, I want to dabble into a little bit more on VA and uh, Trevor Harris because we talked about that ad nauseum last week here on the podcast, which was, was awesome to do in person in Ottawa before we both had a chance to call the Ottawa-Winnipeg game, which, by the way, I had the thought I should probably update the intro. We've both called a couple of games now, new people, new, but the problem is we called the same game, so it would just be both of us going, touchdown, Dalton Schoen! It's like, I don't know if we want the intro to be us calling the same touchdown. <laughs> Well, and if you're calling games for the Bombers, those those games were not replete with highlight-level plays, right? Like, Dietrich Nichols providing excellent coverage isn't like a, a world-busting play. And right. Dalton Schoen's touchdown was fantastic, but there's been a lot of – there's been 700 yards from Jeremiah Masoli going against the team I'm calling games for. That's yeah. been a – maybe this Friday a little better. Uh, Hamilton will provide some – when Willie Jefferson – crushes Dane Evans' spirit, that'll that'll give us something. That'll be something. And so we'll get into some of the matchups in the recap, but just broadcaster to broadcaster, I've been saving this topic. I haven't put it on social. I just wanted to to discuss this quickly with you. In-booth interviews. In-booth right. interviews. Because we had Brad Sinopoli. I am fascinated by this. And again, I am not defensive about this. I want the best product for the people that are watching CFL and TSN, just like you do for the people that are listening to uh, CJOB out there is like, we want to deliver the best game experience that we possibly can. And overwhelmingly, we had Brad Snopley in the booth. I thought we had a great time with him. And my Twitter feed fills with people saying, cut that shit out. Don't need people in the booth. So dumb, gets in the way. All It's just crazy, crazy negativity around the idea. And for me, I'm coming at it from the perspective of if it's in the radio booth, and we're only interviewing somebody and there's no pictures to a company, yeah, that's bad. Because then people have no idea what's happening and then you don't tell them the whole drive, you interview somebody and then you say, all right, they'll punt and that's the end of the drive. That's going to make people upset because you, mm. can't, you can't see. But the CFL and TSN, whether it be the Hall of Fame game or special events or when we're able to celebrate Friday night football, like having Sinopoli in the booth, we have the game playing in front of you. And the reason that I bring this up and people might think this is me like, you know, defending the idea of the in-booth interview for my TV people that I work for now. What I'm saying is I, I have enough of a lack of ego to realize I don't, I, you don't need me. Like you don't need me saying second and six. We have a graphic that says second and six. You don't mm -hmm. need me explain. If there's a penalty that needs to be explained. Sure. If there's a, a weird special teams play. Sure. But if it's an inside run to Brady Oliveira that goes for a gain of three and he gets tackled in second and seven, as a broadcaster, I'm like, you can see that. I got 
Brad in the booth for a couple of minutes here. He's a Canadian football icon. I want to talk to him. But man, DT, people do not like that, even with their television broadcast. And I just wanted your opinion on this because the the operation of it and how it intersects with the medium that we are presenting the game in is such an interesting conversation to me because it doesn't matter what medium it appears it is. People just don't want that. Some people, you're going to find a certain number of people that hate every, like that hate something, sure. right? There's always going to be a group of people that hate whatever you're doing. Sinopoli, he's a good interviewer and he's a great dude. And he, he's a, he's a Canadian football icons harsh, but he's on the icon scale, right? Mm-hmm. Of He was a quarterback and he became a receiver and he was a, an absolute force with that Ottawa Red Blacks team. I tried to do them on radio. We had John Bowman in the booth and it's super tricky, right? Because yeah. it almost eliminates your color person. And as the play-by-play guy, you have to be very brief, right? Second and 10 from the 13 complete for six yards. It'll be third and four on comes the punt team. John, what about being named to the hall of fame? Like yeah. you really have to be efficient and shove the color guy out of the way entirely. It's very, it's hard on radio. Uh, you're, you're right on TV. There are pictures, and as long as as long as you're given little points, we can take three minutes and talk with a guy who is of that level of esteem, right? Like, hey, if if Doug Flutie wants to come into the booth, yeah, hey, let's get Doug Flutie, let's get the six time MOP in there because you know people would like to know stuff like that. Everybody, there is always going to be people to have a problem if you change from what they know and what they get every week. But there are reasons why you do this. And one of the reasons is the game's in Ottawa and this is Brad bleeping Sinopoli. Right. Like, and, and the other part of this to me is just that like our goal is always to present you something new and fun and different. And yeah. me saying gain of three, second and seven is not new and fun and different. Giving you a Friday night football celebration where we're throwing it back to July 18, 2014, Brad Sinopoli's first game where he scored a running touchdown and Hey, we're here in Ottawa. And Brad was an amazing player in Ottawa. He played for the university of Ottawa. He won the head trophy. It's like, this is fun. This is celebrating all levels of Canadian football and bringing you visuals and throwing it back in the time warp machine. And, and people are like, cut that shit out, get him out of the booth. I don't want to hear it. And I'm like, wait, so you just want me to say like gain of three, second and seven. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that the rest of the game for you. I'm like, give us this three minutes to have some fun and, and mix it up. We're trying to bring you something different. I think that's why I was amazed by how overwhelming the negativity was. The, the difference for me would be if it's the halftime musical guest, who ends up in the booth at great I, I kind of don't care. Yeah. And that, this, this is just me. I kind of, I just don't care if it's a football person and who can tell me stories about football. I love it. But if it's someone who doesn't know anything about what's happening right there, there may be another venue in which you could, uh, you could do that. The, I mean, the alternative is to take away from the halftime show uh, and just go back to the booth where you and Suits in that case could do an interview with Brad Sinopoli. But mm-hmm. I love the thought of I love the thought of Sinopoli and, and a guy who has been there gets to react. If if that Darvin Adams catch in that game had happened when Sinopoli was in the booth with you, oh my God, look at that crap. I prayed for balls like that, but Henry Burris would never throw me stuff. Right? <laughs> those, those would be the kind of one-liners that you could get from a guy with that kind of personality. So I like it. It's it's not for everybody, but I like it. It's because it's a former player who's important to the team and playing in that game. Interesting. I'm glad that I got your opinion on it. I'm sure nobody else will have any opinions about us discussing. Uh, let's move on to... Uh, <laughs> Brad Snopley's not here, is he? He's not coming under interrupt. The, <laughs> Pops out of the, the corner. Down, is he? Uh, I wanted to uh, just dabble into the Montreal decision for a minute here because, like I said, we talked about it a lot last week. Uh, but I, after, obviously, going back and re-watching that game, 
the feeling that I had coming out of it was that that was premeditated, that there was such a short hook and there really was no distinct reason. There was no terrible interception that was thrown by VA. There was no fumbling the ball on the snap where it caught it clean or anything egregious. I just thought, man, they must have had an idea how quickly they were going to, to be able to pull him out in this situation. And my other thought watching it as I'm tracking the formations that teams are lining up in this year is, man, Trevor's offense is a lot, just to my eye, a lot more mm. two back, a lot more two back. Like I made the joke to Mike Daly on the daily news podcast here on CFP that the happiest person not named Trevor Harris on the Montreal Alouettes when Trevor Harris plays is named Christophe Norman because he's in the game like 35% more than he ever would be if Vernon Adams Jr. were in the game. And the other thing is when they're in a five receiver package, they are significantly more a quads team, four receivers to the field, yeah. one receiver back to the boundary when Trevor Harris is in. So I ran the numbers on it just to make sure that I wasn't making things up as I was going, because this is the breakdown. We want to try and bring you some actual facts. Uh, formations with a fullback involved in 2022. VA, when he has been playing 25.3% of the time, they are playing with a fullback. When Trevor, so one Harris, four. Yeah, yeah. Tre- when Trevor Harris is in, it's 38%. So it's 13% oh, wow. higher when, when Trevor is in that they use a fullback in the formation. And then when it comes to the quads question that I had, when Vernon is playing in 2022, they're in quads 6.3% of the time. When Trevor is playing in 2022, they're in quads 42.3% of the time. They okay. are, they're almost playing four by one, 50% of the snaps. And I get it. It's one game. It was against Toronto. It might've been a game plan thing, but this is something that we also saw last year when Trevor stepped in, not quite to the severity. So I would expect it to level off a little bit, but it's, it's an interesting thing I caught with my eye and with the tracking that I ran the numbers on to confirm. And it mm-hmm. tells, tells me that we've talked about how you probably couldn't have two more different stylistic quarterbacks in the CFL playing on the same team. It appears that the style when Trevor is in this offense is that they're either going to condense the box and give him either like a three by one or a two by two read where they're squeezing it down inside and letting Trevor read things out and just basically throw it high to Gino Lewis, or they're playing four by one because Trevor, even in his time in Ottawa, I asked some defenders around the league and they said, yeah, when he was in Ottawa, he loved four by one. That he was a big fan of that. And that's something he's always felt very comfortable in because he can read it better. He can see it better. He can throw it better from those formations. So I wanted to throw those at you and just get your thoughts on why you think Montreal is, has this sort of disparity. And to be fair, I've reached out to Vernon as well to ask and be like, Hey, am I missing something here? Is there something that I don't understand? That's a difference. Is this a preference thing? Is this otherwise? And he just hasn't gotten back to me by the time we're recording this. Yeah. I small sample size would be the first answer I have, right? Yep. It's, it's one game. And for Harris, fewer than three quarters in one game. There's, I mean, the Winnipeg Ottawa games has been a lot of one, four by one, and I've been surprised at the amount of one by four. Yes, where you put four guys into the boundary, and uh, when I finish compiling all of week two's data, we'll find out. Like it feels like there is way more one by four. In, in Ottawa's case, it was Jalen Acklin isolated. They would go four by one, isolate Acklin on Winston Rose, and you saw Winnipeg start to. We're gonna fade Adam Big Hill that way. Was an early thing they did in the game, and we're gonna assistant in that i i wonder if it appears to be and this is strictly a feel because again i can't cite any numbers quite yet but it appears to be that that the big winner of moving the hash marks is four by one yep right it, at four by one and one by four for for folks one receiver to the wide side four into the boundary 
four by one, four to the wide side, one into the short side. It, I don't, I, I wonder, I'd be curious to, you know, get to talk to Buck Pierce, the Bombers OC and go, what's, okay, what's, once we know we have enough data to go, what's the deal here? Cause there's a lot, there's a lot more of this than there used to be. And yeah. there's man, fullbacks, 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 fullbacks. I just, I charted Saskatchewan, Hamilton, Sask. It seemed like James Tucker was in there on every other snap. Like they went so many uh, fullback, H-back sets. It was not out of the, not out of line for them based on what Jason Moss likes, but we're seeing, I've seen a ton of that in, in the, again, the limited time I've, I've seen so far. So the, the, the number that I just pulled here on snap so far for how many, t- uh, you know, the percentage of use for, for 41 for quads uh, across yeah. the, across the league right now is 11.9%. And I don't have a relative for 2021 because this is the first year I've done that, but, um, yeah. but I do know that 11.9 is, has to be a little bit higher than the huge. And it also gives some perspective on the idea that for VA, that number is 6.3%. And for Harris, it's 42.3%, as I mentioned. So you get a sense that like that 42.3%, that that can't last. That's not going, they're not going to spend a, a full season spending nearly half of your reps in four by one. Uh, but I do think that he's going to end up somewhere in the high 20s, if I had to guess, if he stays in the game for any significant period of time. And that's going to be interesting to see if they become like a true quads team, because if you're playing Gino Lewis by himself on the backside, and you, you believe that you are a situational advantage. This is actually interesting. So last week we were talking about the advantage that the Montreal Alouettes had was athletic quarterback and throwing it deep to Jake Winicky and Gino Lewis. And we were saying, well, what's mm-hmm. your advantage now? Because Trevor Harris is maybe not going to be the most aggressive guy in the world. He's going to check it down over the middle and play possession football at times. Maybe they believe, DT, that their situational advantage is to go four by one, keep Geno Lewis as the one on the backside as your star receiver. And he's been so bleeping good through the first two weeks that that, that they're saying our situational advantage is we are going to force you to declare two people on Geno Lewis so that we can play a game of four on three or whatever, or, you know, five on four, four on four, uh, however the numbers work out with how many people you want to keep in the box over to the field. Like maybe their idea is we're either going to kill you with Geno Lewis or you're going to have to spend two people on him, and we're going to be able to play four-on-four four football to the wide side of the field and let Trevor Harris pick you apart playing man coverage four versus four. That, that would be my thinking if that's if that's true and if that's going to hold up. Uh, I, I was just able to pull this up. Uh, last season – oh, that's not going to be the right number, DT. Uh, this is going to be a great <laughs> podcast. That's okay. I'll, I'll filibuster for you uh, for a second. So last year, teams were in four-by-one 11% of the time. They uh-huh. were in one. They were in one by four about zero point seven percent of the time. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So, so it's actually rare, not that. Well, I've, yeah. So the four by one doesn't seem to have changed much, at least for two weeks. The one by four feels like it's going to end up dramatically different than zero point seven percent. That's to me. That's for me. Like pass plays, run plays, everything included. I've got five snaps thus far of uh, one by four. Is what I have. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, that's I have all right. one from BC, three from Bo Levi Mitchell, and one from Cody Fajardo is what I have. So if I go uh, my five snaps divided by the nine twenty nine that we've taken so far, it is uh, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, not not much at all. 
not much, but again, this is, this is why we run the numbers because we're trying to get a sense for, okay, how is this actually changing? And is it actually changing or can we prove or disprove the way that things are going? But uh, the other thing, so this is the real reason I bring up this formation stuff. Cause I understand people eyes might be glazing over if you're not a huge football nerd like us uh, on the idea of, <laughs> of these, you know, things uh, that deal with where people are lining up and trends and all this. But when I talked to Paul Lapolis last week, he said, when I asked him about the, what I thought was the heightened number at that point, before you corrected me right now on that, on four receivers to the field at quads formation. And he said, well, here's the thing. I hate giving my quarterbacks 32 or 23 because defenses practice against that all the time. It's what they're comfortable doing, uh, playing against. And it's also when defenses are able to be their most creative. And so he said, if defenses are able to be creative, that creates challenges for us. We can nullify that, their creativity and the different looks they'll give us by giving them formations that they are not comfortable playing against. Vernon Adams Jr. Uh, is taking 69.8% of his snaps in either 32 or 23. 69% of his snaps are in either 32 or 23. Interesting. Trevor Harris is taking 35% of his snaps in either 32 or 23. That's interesting. Double the amount of snaps that Trevor Harris is taking, or sorry, that Vernon Adams Jr. is taking against a an offensive formation that Paul Apolise straight up told me last week. I don't like putting my guys in that. It makes their life more difficult. I'm not trying to make excuses for Vernon here. I don't want that to be what this sounds like. What I'm saying is, I had a CFL coach who knows CFL offense say, "I don't like doing that. It's tougher for my quarterbacks." And whether it be preference or otherwise, VA has not been getting the same playbook as Trevor has been getting. And I just want to make that very apparent to people moving forward here, that if you see VA getting benched and Trevor looking better and stuff, they're not getting the same stuff called into their ears on game day. And that's concerning for me when you're trying to make an evaluation. Well, and and then take it a step further and go, well, why would a veteran CFL offensive mind do that to one guy versus another guy? And Kahari's not Kahari's not a fool, and to think there's sometimes oh these guys don't know what they're doing. They they know what they're doing. It may be different than what we would do, but there's they know what they're doing. So there's a re, there's a substantial reason in Vernon Adams why Kahari Jones gives him so much three by two then, and even though it may not be uh, on the on the on the average profitable, let's just use that word because yeah. I can't think of a different one right now. Uh, there's a reason that he's doing that. Um, and it may be a reason within Vernon Adams himself that Kahari knows having worked with them for so long. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And so I just got a message back from VA actually, as we're taping this, I'm not faking it. This is not Brian Williams going, Oh, I'm just hearing right now that we are. At- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually just got a message back from him and I, and I, cause I sent it to him and I said, Hey man, I'm just trying to understand this. If there's any way that I can present it to people better, smarter way. And he said, man, I'm trying to figure some of this stuff out too. Uh, and he said, I told Kahari that I want a little bit more two back and quick game stuff. I think we're just feeling it out right now. So I guess it's early in the season and, and it, it kind of is what it is at this point. But I, uh, anyways, I thought that was information that would nice. be interesting to people out there. Let's, uh, let's talk some Winnipeg uh, because, man, they went at Winston Rose for the second week in a row, the Ottawa Red Blacks did. Uh, get me your number here that you think is of interest for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. 
So uh, it's not related to defense, though. We can definitely talk about the defense, which uh, we're trying to find a different phrase for bend but don't break because I'm tired <laughs> of bend but don't break because there's been bending, but there hasn't been a lot of breaking. So I, I was just – I charted both the games, and, and I just separate out run plays, right? Because when we talk about things like they need to establish the run, what people are saying is we need to run effectively from the running back position. So I, I want to factor out quarterback runs and quarterback sneaks and pass plays that ended up being scramble plays and jet sweeps and stuff like that. So I was looking strictly at running back plays, runs from the running back position. The Bombers have had 34 of those this season. Eight of them have gone for a loss and nothing super substantial, three yards, two yards, minus one yard. But eight out of 34 have gone for a loss. Last season, that number seems super high to me. I'm like, wait a minute, what was it last year? Last season, playoffs included, the Bombers ran from the running back position almost 300 times. Ten went for a loss. In two games, they have almost as many runs for a loss from the running back as they had in 16 games last year. And a lot of the conversation in Winnipeg has been, well, what about Brady Oliveira versus Johnny Augustine versus Brady Oliveira versus Johnny Augustine? What about Craig McCray? It doesn't matter if, if the guy's getting hit in the backfield. It really does not matter who's running the football if that cat's getting hit in the backfield. So eight out of 34 is an incredibly high number. And for people who, who say, well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is what Ottawa, whether it was Ottawa or it was Winnipeg's, you know, run game, running back attack, it ain't working right now. And I, it put me on Brady Oliveira's side a little more of what do you do when Trey Hornbuckle's in the backfield? Nothing. You go yeah. down because you can't escape Devon Coleman crushing you up the middle. If that's, if that's what's happening, it's, it's been a rough start in the run game and the, bl- the blame needs to be spread around. It's not just one running back. That's, that's the problem because it never is. Yeah, and this is interesting when you play a team back-to-back to start off the season because, like you say, Trey Hornbuckle came out of nowhere. I think he looks like a really nice player. Cleon Lang, mm-hmm. Devon Coleman, uh, flying off the edge. Praise Martin Aguike is a smaller guy, but he makes a lot of plays as well. And so it's like you get that, and then you get Frankie Griffin slashing in. Looks like a really good weak side linebacker from Ottawa who had a heck of a game in Week 2. Is it that Ottawa's defense is that good, or is it that you lost Michael Couture, you had Chris Kolonkowski in there for a while, you lost Drew Desjardins to the NFL's New England Patriots, you bring in Liam Dobson, then he's down in week two, you go with Jeff Gray, he well, takes a couple of penalties. Yeah, Jeff Gray the whole way, yeah. Right, and so it's like, yeah, you're looking your way through this. Did, did Liam Dobson not play in week one? No, no, he hasn't played yet. He's oh, gonna, okay. He'll probably be the sixth O-lineman this week okay. because yeah. of Couture's okay. injury, but yeah. That's what happens when it's, you try to do analysis from a paddleboard in week one. Uh, but but yeah. yeah, Jeff Gray like being into that spot at, at left guard, and Michael Shea talked glowingly about him. I know in a presser that was done last week with the Winnipeg media and you there, uh, and I I still think he's a very very good player. But took a couple of penalties, and I wonder is how do you explain penetration? It's really a rep by rep basis. There's no true number to explain that other than like you're talking about tackles for loss, and each of those are yeah. kind of their own snowflake, right? They're all a little bit different. Yeah, and and O'Shea will make the point of it's very tough to tell unless you know this and this and this, yeah. what happened. But you, you've seen, just reviewing them, you've seen, okay, well, this guy scooted by Pat Newfeld. This one, uh, both Stanley Bryant and Jamarcus Hardrick were supposed to get immediately onto linebackers, and Griffin and Avery Williams slipped past them and drilled Oliveira into the turf, and you go, yeah, it's 
there's a little bit of, of everything and, and everybody. Uh, can I give you a Michael Shea thing just on a tangent that I absolutely yes. love? Uh, there's been two examples this season. And you mentioned Jeff Gray. He got dinged for back-to-back holding while well, two holding penalties uh, in the second quarter of that game. The second one, I, I thought, was this a terrible call? Hmm. Because, sure, the guy's kind of getting around Gray, but Gray puts his hand in the middle of the guy's chest, and, yes, the guy's getting past him. But, like, that jersey's tight on the front. He's just got his hand there, and when he knows it's over, he releases him, and then the guy guy moves on, and they call him for holding. And I went, well, one, I don't think there's anything you can grab because that shirt <laughs> is real tight. And two, that was beautiful. So when someone asked Coach O'Shea about, well, Gray took two holding penalties, O'Shea's like, ah, you know what? Uh, I don't – he essentially said, I don't believe they're both holding, and I, I will not downgrade a guy for something I don't believe was a penalty. Uh, Dietrich Nichols does a great job. You'll remember jumping a route, uh, left to right, going to the wide side. Nichols jumps it, feet get tangled, incidental pass interference. Yeah. O'Shea says on the coaches show, what do I do? That was a beautiful play by Dietrich Nichols. It just happened. They clack feet. Like, what's my teaching point on that? The teaching point was that was perfect. Keep doing that. Hmm. Even though it was, a, it was judged to be a penalty by the officials. I think I, I love that O'Shea's got real perspective on just because it's called doesn't mean it really happened and that it's a bad play on your guy. I, I love that. I love it. Yeah, that is, that's coaching 101 and reinforcing your athletes. And it, it even comes back to the Winston Rose conversation because after he got attacked in week one, then going into week two, he said, listen, the guy's had a bunch of interceptions the last couple of years. Yeah, he made some mistakes, but he's a really good football player. I'm not going to destroy him after one bad week. Second week, a little bit difficult, ends up, I believe, getting an injury designation now, correct? Uh, and yeah. so, uh, is it Houston that looks like he's probably going to play at boundary corner? Well, uh, he missed, uh, speaking of Winston Rose, he missed the third day of practice last week with a foot injury that they're calling it. Uh, and he played. So, uh, I think they designated him week day one as a foot injury and yeah, Demario Houston's been the guy, but, uh, if he played last week, I, Winston Rose feels like a guy who wants to play football and yeah. they're not afraid to have a guy not practice a lot and throw him into the game. So I, my guess, and this is all a guess because they won't tell anything in advance, my guess is Rose plays because he's Winston Rose and nobody else is. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, pick one game that you're interested here as we wrap up for this week, DT, that you are looking forward to that you think is uh, is peak interesting, and I will, I will make it so you cannot go Winnipeg-Hamilton. Okay, so what do we have? We have uh, Montreal-Sask in Thursday. Yep. Winnipeg-Hamilton. What up? BC is back. They're playing somebody yeah, on something. BC is hosting Toronto as the final game of the weekend. And then we have the first of four Edmonton-Calgary matchups. Uh, Calgary should should Hulk smash that game into oblivion. And if I can't pick uh, the Grey Cup rematch, in which Bomber fans will be wearing white. This is We talked about this for folks who didn't see it. Bomber fans will be asked to wear white because they wore white for both the Grey Cup wins and they want to rub it in on the Ticats. It's the only game where the, where the Bombers will wear white at home this season. And I love it. Please keep doing that because it helps feed into the rivalries in the CFL. Uh, I want to see BC. Uh, I haven't seen the first game. I had one of my other folks chart that game for me, the Nathan Rourke-James Butler explosion. Uh, I, I just want to see what that looks like and, and what it looks like against a real team. Like Toronto was not overly impressive in the win versus Montreal because that was the backdooringest of wins. But that defense has some real strong points. And if Sean Oakman's coming after you, what are you, you going to do about that? And 
to your article on CFL.ca after week one, can you throw the ball more than 12 yards downfield? Because you're going to need to do that at some point. Those 12 play drives are great when they finish in touchdowns. But if it's a 12 play, seven minute, 25 second drive that you didn't get to the end zone. Okay. It's not as good. And if you don't have those 30 yard chunk plays, you can't keep doing that 12 play thing for an entire season. So what will it look like in week two for the BC Lions? I'm super curious to see. Took the words right out of my mouth. That's the perfect way to wrap up the podcast for this week. I love that one too. BC Toronto. I have my eyes on Nathan Rourke. Cheering for him. We'll see what happens. Of course, go to fox40shop.com. Use the promo code CFP15 at checkout. He is at DT on OB. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh. We have the breakdown. Thanks so much for listening. And we will talk to you coming up next week. Don't forget to listen to DT on OB coming up Friday night. Gray Cup rematch. White Jersey night.